Welcome to the Endurance Drive podcast. Our mission is to share the key principles that structure our approach to endurance training and coaching. I'm Jim. And I'm Katie. And today's topic, we could probably talk for hours. Yes, I think we could talk about this for the whole length of the New England Triple Crown, which we did. So whenever we go out on a run or a bike or a hike, we probably spend 80% of our time talking about this because <laughs> yes. we, we employ the 80-20 principle for our conversations as well. For really everything in life. We are 80-20 exactly. people. Yeah. So. yeah, don't add me. It works. <laughs> if you can split it into 80 and 20, we're doing it. So we're doing it. We're doing it in the context of this really, really special topic. So the theme of today's conversation is... Is why we love coaching. Yes. And so just to give you a quick roadmap for what we're going to do today, we want to talk first about some stories. So how we got into coaching, in case maybe you're interested in getting into coaching. Then we'll go through how we coach, so our coaching philosophy at the Endurance Drive. Then we'll tell you a little bit just about why we love coaching so much. We should then tell you why you should have a coach, and maybe it should be us. And then finally, we'll give you some of our favorite stories from coaching or being coached. So that's the focus for today. And maybe we'll start then by zooming out and asking Jim, Jim, how is it that you got into coaching? Tell us your life story where it well, all began. Yes, we'll do a, we'll do a time machine here. Yes, is that right? Time machine. I think this is age before beauty as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it was pre Civil War, right? right? Exactly right. This yeah. was so this so kids before electricity. This is what this how it was. <laughs> that was Jim's life. All right, <laughs> right. Tell us how it went. So um, I, you know, like a lot of people, I'm sort of a lifelong athlete, and regardless of the sport that I was obsessed with, was with it baseball or. Nordic skiing or triathlon or cycling, just to name a few of the things I've been obsessed with. I think I've always been interested in the individual performance perspective, but also sort of like the inside details, like how does all this stuff work and what's what's going on there? So how do we achieve this high performance? And I think also going along with that, I think I've always had a strong leadership bent. Mm -hmm. So I think coaching just seemed to be a natural fit. All roads were sort of leading this way, I believe, Mm -hmm. over time. But triathlon specifically, sort of over this decade, I sought out really the best coaches in the world. So these are triathlon coaches, bike fitters, open water run, bike coaches, anybody. If you were a famous coach, I tried to either like hire you or read everything you wrote or go to a camp with you and just really try to just devour and digest everything that was publicly available. Um, so when I landed at the Dartmouth Triathlon Club in 2015, that quickly led to folks asking, like, do you coach people privately? And of course, the rest seems to be history. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always noticed that, you know, all the workouts that we do, some of them are sort of originally created, but a lot of them are just a blend of basically the best workouts out there. So we're going to take the best swim workouts from the best swim coaches and the best bike workouts from the best bike coaches. And that's kind of what you've taught me in the coaching process is this blend of the best principles. And I've loved kind of seeing that as a mentor role from you. And that's also, you know, to turn it to me, how I got into coaching was I benefited a lot from having an official coach in gym as I developed my triathlon career. And I learned a lot about the key principles that do guide our approach to training. And during that process, you know, learning the ways of the endurance drive, I think I learned enough that I felt ready to share that with other people. And, you know, I think, Jim, you and I both made like some mistakes in the beginning that we then learned how to approach differently and figuring out, okay, how do I help people so they don't make those mistakes and then can really just get the best out of themselves was the way that I got into it. So for me, it really became a matter of like, okay, I want to share this a little bit. I'm going to start coaching some friends. I'm going to start coaching some other Dartmouth triathlon athletes who are, you know, looking to do longer races outside of the team structure. And then it transformed into having my own clients and really trying to build out the coaching arm of what I do to the point where this is one of my primary focuses in life right now. I love it so much. And it's cool to just see that learning the principles and living the principles with a really good mentor is kind of the way to do that. And I love that you did that from the pros so I can just get it secondhand from you. Oh, thanks. Well, I think, you know, all of us as coaches, 
probably this is just a time to say thank you to all the people mm-hmm. who probably don't know or, or have mentored us, you know, through mm-hmm. Twitter or Instagram or wherever books and everything that we've learned and we apply mm-hmm. nowadays. We experimented with it. We've we've honed it a little bit, right? But it came from somebody else. So I think mm-hmm. this is the thank you to all the all those coaches out there mm-hmm. that gave us all these lessons, and that hopefully we can take these lessons, add a little value, pass them on to you, and then you can take them mm-hmm. and then also apply them to your friends and your community. Exactly. So that's probably our first point that we'll make is if you're interested in getting into coaching, start by just learning the principles. We try to do that a lot as coaches, sort of just teaching you as athletes. But principles are the place to start in in our view of coaching. So some of you, I think we lead on our website mm-hmm. with like, oh, you know, who are we? What do we do? Right? It's our coaching philosophy. Exactly. But we haven't said it on the podcast yet. So I know. So we're sort of. I think we're sort of backfilling here, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it's your first time listening to the podcast. This is really good timing. This is our coaching philosophy. But uh, thanks for sticking around to episode eight to hear it all. So we lead with. You are a person first and athlete second. Katie, what does that mean? Yes. So person first, athlete second is one of our biggest catchphrases and. I think it's one of the biggest things that sets us apart from having like an online training plan. So sometimes people ask me like, well, why do I need a coach? Because I could just go Google Ironman training plan and there's going to be a spreadsheet and it's going to have everything I need to do over the next 24 weeks to get ready for my Ironman. But that plan does not treat you as a person first, athlete second. And I think we've experienced so much through training and coaching and just our whole approach to life that, you know, Training for a big race intersects with life in so many ways and in ways that relate to you being a person rather than an athlete. So things come up in your life. Life stressors come on. Exciting things in life come on. And it is so hard to try to make that work with a plan that doesn't really account for you as a person. Your highs and lows, your successes and failures, the things that make you really excited or that you need to work on versus the things that you really feel good about. And so what we do when we meet a new athlete and then throughout the time of working with them is we say you're a person and we want to know you as a person. And then we're going to make a plan that kind of takes that into account. And then, of course, it's sport plan. So it's training plan that makes you an athlete. But at the end of the day, it is dynamically suited to you as a person. I think what we always say is that you know everyone went professional in something else besides, besides athletics. Mm-hmm. So this is like you say, this is not the only thing that we're doing. This is just one of the many things that we are doing. So we get this sense of of who you are, right? You have full-time jobs, families, community responsibilities, all kinds of things. So athletics is important, but it's not really the only thing that makes us tick. Mm-hmm. And I think we also want to focus on keeping that recreation and recreational athlete. At the end of the day, we are mostly coaching athletes who are doing this in addition to their other stuff and because it's fun. So accounting for you as a person, I think, is a better way to achieve that fun rather than saying, you know, if you don't hit your training, this is the only way to do it, all of that. We're way about things like health and joy and community are big focuses for our training plans. So are you saying that triathlon doesn't pay your health insurance and your mortgage? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> maybe maybe a couple more races it will, but so far it is not triathlon. Okay, so a second principle that we focus on in how we coach is consistent and structured training. So our focus, you know, again, person first, athlete second, but on the athlete side, we want to be giving you these appropriate workouts and intensities that adapt to your training cycle, the endurance events that you're preparing for, and your personal situation. So we probably talked a lot about these. You've heard, I think you've heard us mention zone two before, mm-hmm. but really that's a fundamental, of course. So we'll start mm-hmm. start there, right? And it could be as there's this huge value in taking these new athletes out of this chronic Z3 mm-hmm. that, that, that they're in, right? And I'll jump on that and say, sometimes it's really hard to know if you're training too easy or too hard, or usually it's that you're too much in the middle. It's hard to know that without having an outside perspective. So we're going to infuse that zone two training principle into your plan and then hopefully kind of bring you out of the gray zone. 
Another thing that goes with, with fundamentals is just fueling mm-hmm. and training go hand in hand. Again, you guys have heard this over and over again. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're your partners in trying to figure out that your nutrition and your hydration have to be completely dialed both during training, after training, and during your races as well. And I think the big thing to, to emphasize here is fitness is a journey, mm-hmm. not a destination. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're going to remind you that the whole time we're here about the process goals rather than the outcome. And we're going to you know, support you in all the ways that we can while we do that. I think another feature of our coaching philosophy has to do with dynamic training. So again, coming back to that person first, athlete second, we want to be adapting your plans based on so many different individualized factors. So thinking about your abilities, your strengths and weaknesses, any type of injuries that you have or illnesses that happen for you, life stress, availability, no two plans are ever identical. So that's something that's really important in terms of having an individualized coach. And we find that it's a lot easier to get people to get the most out of their plan if they can actually follow it. And giving them a plan that they can follow involves creating a really dynamic one. And that personalized thing is really big. And I'll share something with with the audience mm-hmm. and our athletes. And sometimes as coaches, well, we'll try to we'll try to be a little sneaky and we'll say, <laughs> okay, we have a number of athletes maybe who are seem very similar. Mm-hmm. And so we'll sneak ahead in the plan and we'll say, oh, there's a three week block here. And these guys could all kind of do basically maybe the same kind of thing mm-hmm. in this three-week block. So I've done that before. I recently did that for a mm-hmm. bunch of athletes. And inevitably what happens is by week or one or two into that, you're realizing you're changing the plan for everybody. You know, some person has a little rut injury. Some person can't get to the gym, blah, 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 blah. So uh, sometimes we try to sneak and try to do it a generalized thing, but it, it never works. It's mm-hmm. always individualized. It's always individualized and dynamic. And again, we've talked about like we can make a skeleton and a general set of principles that work for a lot of different races. But at the end of the day, your personal circumstances and your day-to-day workouts are going to vary a lot just based on all these individualized circumstances. The next one here is we really emphasize communication. Mm-hmm. Right? We are always asking people to make comments in training piece because most of our athletes are remote. So mm-hmm. what we're trying to do every single day is build a mental picture of how mm-hmm. are you doing? And what that does is it sets us up to understand how you're doing that day, that week. But we also generally have a plan in place to do the next training block. Mm-hmm. And if we see uh, everything's great, people say, oh, good. And it doesn't have to be very long. It can just be all oh, good. I'm having a great day. Perfect. We will continue on with the plan mm-hmm. as we see fit. But sometimes things come up, like a little Achilles thing, this and that. So we're all constantly in the background, you know, turning the dials mm-hmm. on on the plan based upon your communication with us. Mm-hmm. And that communication can take a lot of different forms. You know, we want to be seeing your objective data coming in. We want to see that your heart rate strap is connected, and we can see how that's going on the workout. But we also do want to hear from you. What's easier for you now? What's hard for you? We want to know if there are like life stressors going on that are making it really hard to execute those workouts. I talked about fairly recently how I rolled out doing like a athlete weekly check-in sheet. That's been really great for me to say like, okay, where are you on mental health, physical health, and all those things. And I think we as coaches want to know as much as you're willing to share with us because anything that's going to intersect with training does relate to how we're going to plan your plan. And at the end of the day, like powering through when things are really not going well for whatever reason in different domains of your life is probably not going to get the stimulus that we're looking to give you as a coach. So that's really the background. That's a sort of a quick how we coach mm-hmm. philosophy. But I think the, the meat of this whole thing is like, why do we love coaching? Mm-hmm. And I think really the first one, we've talked about this all the time, is the relationships we mm-hmm. have with our athletes. This is a very close working relationship that we have. We get to know them just across the board, right? Mm-hmm. And, 
that's just super important to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd say that like we actually coach the best when we have a very holistic view of you as a person. So things about your personality, you know, are you a really anxious racer? Do you need more support kind of amping you up for race day? Or do you maybe need support on being reminded when you need to fuel or reminded to get enough sleep or getting negative versus positive reinforcement? There's so many different things that really impact how people are going to absorb training. And so it's a huge deal that we get to be a part of that. I'd say we also feel really excited about the ability to share in your successes and failures, your challenges, your insecurities, things that make you excited and highs and lows, because we're here for that. And sometimes people who are outside of the coach athlete framework, they can maybe sympathize, but they can't always empathize as much with the frustration of going out and having the day that you didn't expect in a race. We're here to support you through that. We're not going to say that every single day you're going to have a perfect A race. And I think we understand what goes into preparing for these races because we're asking you to do it. So we're glad to be there for all those highs and lows. And we play lots of different roles, mm-hmm. right? We play we play coach, but we also sort of play a little bit of other things. Like maybe it's some physical therapy, yep. yeah, mental health some, coach. Yeah, yeah, some nutritionist, maybe like a sports medicine liaison or almost like a professional athlete sometimes or a teacher. And it's nice because as coaches, we don't actually have to choose to specialize in one of those things. And if you specialize in one of those things, that's amazing. And we admire what you do so much and we refer our athletes to you all of the time. But I think for us, it's really dynamic because we get to do different things all the time. And I think really, I didn't realize that so much of it really was just like the people skills and the having conversations. But that's one of the things that I really love the most. So we're not a doctor. We just play one on TV. Is that, is that, is that what we always say? <laughs> yes, that's exactly yeah. what we say. And you should not turn to us for medical advice, but we can refer you to medical advice that we have vetted. I think another thing that we really love about coaching is this ability to learn and evolve all of the time. So every single time we get a new athlete, they're going to have a unique set of considerations. They've got different ability levels, schedules, strength and weaknesses, availability, different types of experience, a different race calendar. And so we're always trying to innovate to figure out how to best support our athletes. So I recently took on a new athlete who's really excited and motivated and has some background in swimming and biking, but really just does not have any background in running. And, you know, figuring out, okay, if someone's never really run before, what do you need to do to prepare them to do a triathlon? And we've developed a whole new workout library recently that has sort of a run-walk progression that comes from you don't know how to run and you need to know things about technique and how to choose a pair of shoes and all that type of stuff. And at the same time, I have another athlete who, you know, can run a 230 marathon but wants to do her first half Ironman. So just figuring out what best supports athletes in all that range, I'm constantly, constantly innovating. And it, there's never a dull mo- moment because there's never two identical athletes. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about triathlon too is nobody came to us trained as a triathlon, mm-hmm. right? Somebody came, I swam in high school or I ran in high school or I just, I cycling. So nobody really grew up being a triathlete. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I was initially attracted to this community because everybody was focusing on learning because mm-hmm. and, and being supporting each other because Nobody really knew what they were doing. It's still sort of that same way, right? We all come with a different perspective and some different learning on and know a little bit about something. But putting all these three sports together is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd say that we learn from other sources, but we also just learn a lot from our athletes. That's been really cool to learn about, you know, what do they have a lot of expertise in that they can bring to us? Sometimes athletes will give us information that we didn't know about one of the three sports. You know, if we have a like a pro level runner coming in, they're going to know a lot more about like shoe drop than we might naturally have information on. So we don't know everything, even if it seems like our library suggests that we do. And we really appreciate 
that um, access to so many different experiences and the motivation to keep learning and keep innovating. I think we're just scratching the surface of what we know, really. Yes. <laughs> We've been outed. We do not know everything. <laughs> Regardless even. of what this podcast says, yes. <laughs> do not listen to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another one that we, I really like is just helping others avoid the mistakes that, that I have made. Um, if you can think of a training mistake, I've probably made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty much 99% sure I've made it. So let's benefit from my sort of stupidity and ignorance and and like learn the proper way to do training. What are the, what, again, what are the best practices that we try to bring to this and skip some of these painful lessons that mm-hmm. we've all had? Yeah, I think that was one of my biggest motivations for getting into coaching. Actually, I've alluded to this before, but not really knowing how, for example, to fuel myself well in college while sustaining like a pretty elite half Ironman training load. Now, one of the biggest things I focus on, especially with my younger athletes and my female athletes is like, how do we not get into that land? We don't want to be dealing with relative energy deficiencies bar. We don't want to be dealing with the cascade of injuries that can come from that. And it feels really awesome to identify athletes who you're like, could be susceptible to something like that and then just steer them in the right direction. Cause you're like, no, 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 I already did that. Like you're good. You don't have to worry about this. And here's exactly how to do it the right way. Obviously, it's not always going to be that simple, but it is the most gratifying thing in the world to get to lead people on the right path when you didn't necessarily go on it. You're like, that trail is bad. Don't recommend. (laughs) Stay on the good path. And we're here to help you do that. And the last reason why we coach is uh, we do it for the big money, right? It's the huge, <laughs> it's the huge amount of cash flow, right? It's sort of equivalent to being a hedge fund manager. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, your two options if you really want to make a big are hedge fund manager or being a coach. But in all seriousness, coaching is not a a big money game. Um, so as I think as you say, Jim, it's the quickest way to become poor. Right. If you want to make a million doing, doing coaching, start with two million. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. You know, here we're we still are. trying to make a podcast about yes. it. So maybe if Athletic Green sponsors us, we can turn this around finally. <laughs> I'm still holding out for Nature's Bakery. Yeah, Nature's Bakery. Bakery, we love you. Okay. So why should somebody have a coach? Yes. Yeah. And we actually, I got this question from a prospective athlete recently. So I told this athlete all about kind of our process. And then they asked, okay, well, what is the difference between this and me just going online and grabbing a training plan? And we have a lot of reasons why. And I actually will say that these reasons apply to any coaching platform. Like we really think that anyone who's training for an event should probably have a coach. We have a case to say that like we are the coach that you should have, but we think in general, it's really good to have a coach. So Number one reason that we'll start with is you're not always the best gauge of whether you need to go easier or harder. And overwhelmingly, we've talked about this before, but athletes who are not coached tend to do way too much of that zone three gray zone moderate area and not enough easier hard. And sometimes we focus a lot on like you need to go easy, you need to go easy. But sometimes people also don't hit that high end very hard. And I think as a coach, we can encourage you to say like, okay, you have the base to be able to hit a really challenging workout and we're going to give it to you and you're motivated to do it. And also here's 80% of your week. Here's the easy and we're going to hold you back. So staying out of the gray zone, I think is one of our our big reasons. It's funny too, when I talk to a lot of new athletes, you know, a lot of people have heard of 80-20 and mm-hmm. zone two. And a lot of people have said, I'm trying to do that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just need to give somebody permission to mm-hmm. go to go slow. And it's really funny because it's not, you're not even convincing them to, you have to do this aerobic exercise. You, mm-hmm. they like, I know that already. But then you say, I'm giving you permission. I'm assigning you yeah. a workout mm-hmm. to go slow. And you just see them just relax. Like, yeah. Oh, I have permission to do this. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Go telling people, it. I really want you to walk. Like, I mm-hmm. want you to yes. walk up all of the hills and realizing that they're going to check that green box if they walk. I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it helps you not feel like, wow, I feel defeated because I'm trying to run and I, I can only like run walk. We're like, no, 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 that's the plan. We want you to do it. 
but that that I think helps so much. I think very much related to this as well is it's just not the best gauge of how to recover and when to recover, mm-hmm. right? I think we're all really good at you know, we have a lot of stress in our lives mm-hmm. and we're really good at ignoring the stress, mm-hmm. right? So a coach can kind of step in and say, hey, you need to recover here. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was me for most of my collegiate career. And you were always like, you need to dig yourself out of the hole. You need to recover. And I wasn't that great at listening to it, but I appreciated that you were there saying it. So yes, we are here to encourage you to recover. And when we give you a day off, we do mean it. Um, another one I would say a reason to get a coach is that planning your own workouts is a pretty big stressor. And in general, you know, training for any type of event is a stressor and preparing for that. The training is hard. The logistics are hard. And any type of stressors that you can eliminate from your life are really good ones. So if you can take the planning your own workouts thing out of the equation, you can free up a lot of time and brain space to do other things and just generally mentally and physically recover from all of your training. So especially if you're trying to balance a training load with family time and work and social obligations, all these different things, take the planning out of the equation. And all you have to do is just wake up check training peaks, see what you have to do and execute it. We found that that just takes a lot of the pressure and time off. I always say to people, like, if you, you want a tooth, a tooth pulled, you go to a dentist. Mm-hmm. Right? If you want your car worked on, you go to a mechanic. So mm-hmm. if you want a professional plan, if you want to plan out your workouts, you just, just hire a coach, yes. right? Mm-hmm. It's just a, another professional job. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Another reason to get a coach, you've probably heard of this or thought about this, but accountability is a big one. So if you have trouble nailing those workouts, especially if you're making your own plan, it helps when you know that someone's going to be reviewing them and giving you feedback and has taken the time to plan them for you. And I mean, honestly, if you're paying money for someone to make you a plan, we find that people are more likely to actually do those workouts. So again, motivation and accountability, it's a lot easier to get up for that 5 a.m. swim if you know that you're going to get a great job from one of your coaches afterwards. And you're going to get a green box. and tra- Ooh, training. A green box. And everybody loves the green box. And conversely, everybody hates a yellow or red box in <laughs> Training Peaks. I think the percentage of athletes whose love language is a green box in Training Peaks is, is quite high. Very high. <laughs> <laughs> Another great thing about having a coach is you do have a go-to person to come to when, you know, like inevitably tons of questions will pop up about all of the ins and outs of endurance training. You can try GPT if you want to, but I think we can probably provide a slightly more nuanced answer, at least so far. Um, But yeah, it's great to just have someone as questions come up to be able to direct those to them and not feel like you have to dig through the internet in order to find an answer. It's comforting to know you think we're better than ChatGPT. So far. (laughs) I mean, ChatGPT is getting better and I don't know if we are, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but does ChatGPT have a podcast? No, Well, not yet, Mm. but we could probably have them make one. Probably. That competes with us. Don't give them any stars. (laughs) All right. Last one here of why we think you should get a coach is it's really awesome to just have a partner in all in the ups and downs of training and racing. You might find that like your spouse or partner does not really want to hear about like, oh, well, in the first mile, I was at 135 heart rate, but then I went above 150 in mile two and all these things. They're going to be like, great, I don't really care. But we love to hear about that type of stuff. And some of my best memories actually are I remember my very first half Ironman ever crossing that finish line and being like, I get to call Jim and tell him all about the pace that I pulled off and the training actually worked and I executed just like I thought I would. That was really, really special. And I think that's some of the best moments that we have as coaches is getting to share in our athletes highs and lows, both in training and in racing. 100%, 100% agree. Um, but Connor does not want to hear about your mile split at mile eight. I don't understand. I don't understand. He, he does his best. He, does, he really he does. does. And I have to give him a lot of credit for like nodding and smiling. And I do the same when he talks about Dungeons and Dragons. He's a but good boy. He's a good boy. Um, all right. So now we can do story time, which is one of our favorite things to incorporate into this podcast. And I think it might be good to tell some of our favorite stories from either coaching or being coached. So 
as I've said before, I've always been coached by Jim. Basically, he's been my only endurance coach other than my cross-country coaches in high school and my soccer coaches when I was younger. But we have a couple of special stories from my times at Ironman Lake Placid. So in Ironman Lake Placid at 2019, that was my first Ironman ever. And I didn't really know what to expect. My goal was to finish the race. But I went out there. I had a decent swim. I had a pretty good bike. And then I got out on the run course and I'm running along and I see Jim at around mile two. And he says, hey, there's someone else in your age group and she's 26 minutes up the road, but she's running 12 minute miles and you're running, you know, eight to nine minute miles. And in my head, I was like, OK, well, she's 20 minutes up the road, 26 minutes up the road. There's no way that I'd ever catch her. But he's like, I think if you just keep doing what you're doing, you're going to overtake her. And so I was like, whatever, that's fine. I'm going to keep running. Kept running. I saw Jim again at mile eight. And I can just see the excitement like mounting in his voice. And he's like, she's 17 minutes up the road. Your gap is closing. You've got this. I see him at mile 13. She's only eight minutes up the road. And I know that the gap is closing. And meanwhile, I am hurting like really, really badly right now. Every single bone in my body wanted to just lay on the ground. But he's just telling me like, you're getting there. You're getting closer and closer and closer. And I think eventually I did pass her around mile 18. I knew where she was. And then I saw him again at mile 20. And I was so deep in the pain cave and I like sort of was crying a little bit and I'm just like Jim can I walk and Jim said no you can't walk and I kept running and I ran my way to my first Kona ticket on my first Ironman ever and just like it was this this victory for both of us I think seeing that happen and having him push me out on the course like that that was so incredible. And then the best part was that I had deja vu in 2023 when something very similar happened and I closed a gap. I overtook someone ahead of me to get on the podium and again, had a little bit of like, I'm doing my best out here right now moment. And he just was gave me just the right amount of like pushing, but also some some really nice encouragement and got that Kona ticket again. So I would say that's a really big shared victory for both of us. And awesome to have him on course both of those times. Just a huge victory and what and just a, such a pleasure to be there to to mm-hmm. witness the whole thing. And we all knew our you know our whole crew knew like you were just going to do what you do, which is <laughs> just put your head down and just go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I still don't know that I could have done it without like that extra encouragement or I at least probably would have walked when I said, "Can I please walk?" and you said no. We have so many good memories of, of Lake Plus. I think going through this, there's so many stories to tell of just mm-hmm. proud coach moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, sticking on that Lake Placid, I think you know 2023 was a was a big one. I think for all of us, mm-hmm. um, particularly we had Coach Katie and Coach Kevin out there, and we had done some new things this year with training plans and tried some new things out. And you guys were crushing most of your key workouts, mm-hmm. and so just to see that all like you guys racing up to your potential on race day was just so like you have this theory right a, a training plan is this an illusion of control it's this theory right and you do all this work over nine months and you say is this really going to work and suddenly we realized like yeah it's working mm-hmm. this is unbelievable it's happening mm-hmm. it's, it's happening it's happening so mm-hmm. that was very cool and we also just had the endurance drive we all had a huge amount of people out there. We had a big, big, big crew this year. And that was just so fun to stay up late. And mm-hmm. I feel like every 30 minutes or 60 minutes, somebody was coming through the finish line. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just nonstop from, I don't know, maybe five o'clock at mm-hmm. night till maybe like 11 o'clock. Yep. At night. People just yep. coming through, coming through, coming through. People being so happy. Um, so many people had reasons to stop, right? Mm-hmm. People getting sick, people getting cramps. There was all the reasons to stop mm-hmm. and nobody was going to stop mm-hmm. because A, they had just trained a bunch and B, 
they were out there as part of a community, part of the endurance drive community, and they weren't going to let their family and friends down and sort of their teammates down, right? Mm-hmm. So when people are throwing up at mile 13 and mile 18, mm-hmm. big cramps on the bike, like, yeah, this is happening, but mm-hmm. we're going to keep going because this is bigger than us. So to watch people go through this sort of this egocentric of like, this is about me. Mm-hmm. And as the race goes on, you see them saying, no, no, this is this is about me, but it's also about what's happening right now, right? Mm-hmm. This community that's happened here today and all the support that I've had for the last nine months. And that's just the cool thing. It's just a great feeling. I remember just having this deep sense of satisfaction all through that whole entire evening as mm-hmm. every athlete kept coming through, kept coming through and just being so happy that they had finished their journey. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool. I mean, having that many athletes there, I had a similar experience where most of my athletes in 2021, I believe we're all doing Ironman Lake Placid and you get to feel the satisfaction of a racer crossing the finish line and then you get to multiply it by like the number of racers that are doing it. And it's sort of this exponential function where you're just filled with joy over and over again and a little bit less lactic acid as everybody else is. And I think you're hitting too on the point that what's so great about being a coach, especially on a platform like the Endurance Drive, is we're a whole community and we sort of get to be at the helm of that. It's amazing. I mean, even just thinking about like our podcast listeners and everything, all being a part of this community of current athletes and former athletes, everybody all together. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we find this so fulfilling is it's so much bigger than us and the workouts. It's about that community. And I think we could probably have a whole other podcast just on like what the, the community means to us. Yeah, but it just gives so much and just keep this going. We, we just want to do this forever. This is, mm-hmm. this is the best. Yes. Right. I'd say one thing, one experience that we've both really shared that has been so fulfilling in the coaching space has been being coaches of the Dartmouth Triathlon Club. So I was a student on the Dartmouth Triathlon Club, and that's where I met Jim as one of our coaches. And then I got to join the coaching staff after that. But I think for both of us, that has been so incredible. Yeah, the chances to get to know hundreds of people across mm-hmm. so many years has been yep. so, so gratifying. And just to watch this growth of people coming in, you know, their first year in college, mm-hmm. all the way up through to the senior year. They're this, basically children. They're children, right? And they yeah. come out and they leave, most of them leave just kind of these young, mature adults. Mm-hmm. And so to see that transformation, not just in the sport, because the sport's only one piece of it, but just as people, mm-hmm. it's incredible. You know, we'll have sort of, you know, the first year people and go, oh, that person's this. And then by the senior year, like, wow, they have changed so mm-hmm. much. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. And just to be a, a very small part of that is, it's a project where we give a bunch, but I think mm-hmm. we get back more than, yeah. we, than we give. I think we absolutely do. And I think we also feel so privileged to be a part of this really formative experience for students. You know, your college years are so big. And I think speaking from my experience, like being on that team has shaped who I am as a person and the friendships that I have these days for so many different reasons. And the fact that we get to play a very small role in all of that, I think is one of the most gratifying things that we could do ever. We promise we don't do that one for the money. That's really a labor of love. But as Jim said, we receive a lot more than we give. Mm -hmm. And I think actually just from a practical standpoint, right, mm-hmm. sort of bringing it back to coaching is that we do a lot of these workouts on the Dartmouth Tri Kids, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we yep. see them and we see them in action. Mm-hmm. So chances are, you know, if we've written a swim workout and 20 people in the pool say, this is a great workout. Well, chances mm-hmm. are you're going to see it as well yes. as a remote athlete. Mm-hmm. So we, this nice part is we get to we get to see how you're responding as a remote athlete, you know, from your comments talking with you. We also get to see in-person people mm-hmm. doing workouts. And so this sort of symbiotic relationship going back and forth between coaching remotely and coaching in person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think when we do get to come together with some of our athletes at camps or races, and we do get that in-person experience, it really is unmatched. So if you're one of our athletes and we haven't met you yet in person, we really look forward to that time. And we're hoping to really build up like our in-person programming with things like swim clinics and camps and stuff in the next year, or traveling to races. But it's awesome that what we get to do right now really does combine those two features in such a big way. 
I think we've covered it. Well, yeah. we, well we can keep going on. We I can mean, just keep going and we going. We could do another going. eight right. hours, but we right. probably should move into our listener questions as we wrap up today's episode. We got three questions this week. Two of those questions have to do with swimming. So we haven't talked too much about swimming. We will probably have a whole swimming-focused episode at some point in our podcast. But one of our listeners asked, basically, how can we make swimming more bearable? So, you know, we have some athletes who have a swimming background and absolutely love to go to the pool. We have others who can very easily motivate to go outside but have trouble dragging themselves to the pool in the winter, usually early in the morning. I am certainly one of those people, so I have to get my single swim in of the week this week. It's Thursday. I don't know if I'm going to get it in. So anyway, I'm looking for tips on this too, but we can give you a few ideas on how to make swimming better. So the first tip is don't go to the pool. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Well, that's a different podcast. Okay, yep. hold on. Hold on. Right. Okay. Episode 11. Right. Don't go to the pool. Don't go to the pool. <laughs> okay. The first one is sort of group swimming, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Most pools have a master's program. Mm-hmm. And- I have very mixed feelings about master's programs because mm-hmm. we are open water swimmers ultimately mm-hmm. and, and a lot of master's programs are around being a, a pool swimmer. With that said, there's no substitute for showing up at five o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. six o'clock in the morning because you have people there who you want to see mm-hmm. and you know, getting in 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 yards with a group of people is so much easier mm-hmm. a lot of times than doing it by yourself. So sometimes the master's workouts aren't necessarily great triathlon workout but the point is you're in the pool Mm -hmm. you're getting the work done and you're doing it with the community Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like we were talking about all roads lead to rome on the trainer like at this time of year early january all time in pool leads to rome in the pool or however you want to say about that i think we just want you to be swimming i'd say if you do prefer to swim on your own maybe that's just easier with your schedule there are ways to make it a little bit easier sometimes with gadgets i have not personally used any of these but some of our athletes have recommended for example different types of headphones where you can listen to music or the endurance drive podcast or anything else you want to listen to there's a brand called shocks that makes these and have been vetted by some of our athletes We also know athletes who have used form goggles. And so these are goggles that sort of have a screen within the goggles that displays your pace as you're swimming. So if you're really like big into the data, you can be looking at that and different types of, I believe, like stroke rate and other metrics that are useful for swimming. So either of those might be interesting. Yeah, I spoke with an athlete today who's a new athlete who's using form goggles. And he really liked them because it was just helping him with his pacing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as triathletes, we tend to have one pace. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the form goggles were showing him when he was going easy. And he's like, oh, this is what easy feels like. Mm-hmm. And this is a medium. And then he was doing fast 25s. So it's like, okay, you've just identified three different mm-hmm. speeds. And we'd love to have three different speeds. Ideally, we're trying to get that easy, medium, and hard mm-hmm. with our with our athletes. Exactly. And then this one's a little bit dry, but you can even be thinking about the math of swimming in your head as you're swimming if you want to. One of our athletes recommended this the other day. So you have to be often counting yards or thinking about times or counting down how many yards you actually have to go, you know, play with different things. You can even try and work through a problem in your head. I've had some of my best insights while swimming because there's literally nothing else to do. So get creative with it. And we are also always open to suggestions. So if you found a way to make swimming a lot more bearable, absolutely let us know and we'll share it with the team. So keeping on the the pool theme, should we be doing flip turns? Yeah, this is a good question. Well, you have two different perspectives here because I flip turn all the time, pretty much. Jim, like half the time, would you say flip turns? I'd, I'd probably do it 90% of the time okay. flip turns. Mm-hmm. But when I'm under stress, we're doing really hard, hard workouts. I'll go back to open turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, even though we both do it a fair amount, we'd say that flip turns are never critical. And open turns actually do have a lot of advantage. So you get a lot of air when you hit the wall. And if you execute them correctly, they can be just as fast as flip turns. 
Similarly, though, if you want to become the best swimmer that you possibly can become, you can look at the best swimmers and see that they do flip turns. So think about playing with it maybe in your off season if you have a time to like learn a new skill. And for me, I didn't start swimming doing flip turns. It was something that I learned. And then after I practiced it for a couple of weeks, it was just second nature. So see how it works out. If you're getting a lot of water in your face, like you can do a nose clip, different things like that. But it's not critical in order to complete a triathlon because usually you're not actually swimming in a pool in a triathlon. Yeah. Usually you won't be turning in the middle of a lake somewhere. Yes. <laughs> if you are, that's a cool triathlon. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's a cool lake. We should too. try that one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question that we got is it's winter right now. Last week we talked about the indoor trainer type stuff. But if you're running outside, should you have different shoes for running in the wintertime as opposed to in the summertime? I think the answer to that is yes, mm -hmm. I guess. I personally, I run in the Hoka Arahi, mm -hmm. but it has no uh, traction whatsoever. So when there's a little bit of slush and, and mud out there, I will typically go to like my Hoka Mm -hmm. or some yep. other trail shoes. Yeah, and the trail yeah. shoes just generally have a little bit more traction on the bottom. So if your baseline running sneakers have decent traction, then it's probably fine to wear them in the winter. If you have like the Carbon X or some type of, a lot of the Hoka's have very little traction. If you're optimizing for speed, those might be good to leave inside if you're going out for a slushy run. But there's nothing inherently different about the road in the winter if there's no snow on it. So like just because it's cold doesn't mean you can't wear your speedy shoes. And some of our athletes that use yak tracks or mm -hmm. use some spikes I personally don't use those because I feel like they throw off my run stroke mm -hmm. kind of bit, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It sort of hurts in the hips a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly an option if you really need to get your workout in and it's super snowy out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we'd prefer that you wear those than like slip and break your neck on the ice outside. So just do what you need to do. And we have recommended different types of spikes you can wear if you're doing like winter trail running. So any type of stuff in the mountains. We recommended the black diamond spikes before. They're pretty sharp. Those are certainly not for running on like pavement. But an option for sure if you're doing winter trail runs. So now we've reached our favorite part of the Yes. Always. Gear pick of the week time. Gear the pick of the time. week. So, Jim, what's your gear pick of the week? Okay. So, speaking of riding, I will use these this piece of gear probably October through April. So, a lot. It's the Gore-Tex Overshoes. Mm -hmm. They make a couple of different brands. But just they're very simple. Um, they have Velcro on the back. And they just go easily around your cycling shoes and they have a little bit of insulation in them as well. So they're mm -hmm. warm. So they're great for anything that's probably under 50. I start I start wearing them. Mm -hmm. And then as it gets really cold, I'll use those as a base layer and I'll put another set of Gore-Tex that are even more insulated around that mm -hmm. as well. And with all that stuff, how cold can you ride outside? Like what's your temperature cutoff for outdoor riding? I think typically we're looking at probably... 25, 20 to 25 seems to, be the, seems to be the thing. I cut I cut myself off a little bit more like 30 to 35, uh, but maybe I should get some of those Gore-Tex overshoes. You get two pairs. Two pairs. And then the pro tip there is to size up a little bit because mm -hmm. you want them to go easily over your cycling shoes. Cycling shoes are surprisingly big. Mm -hmm. And also just having a little more room allows you to sort of size up with maybe a, a, a thick wool sock mm -hmm. that you're wearing. And really what you're trying to do is you're just trying to trap heat. And mm -hmm. so giving yourself a little bit of airspace in there is perfectly mm -hmm. fine. One other thought, if you get really, really cold feet or hands, we have some athletes who use like hand warmers. Those are often for skiing, but can be good for like mountain adventures or even cycling. Toe warmers just stick right onto the bottom of your socks. So if you're not cutting it with overshoes, especially like if you have rain odds or anything like that and you're getting cold in like the 40s, it's definitely worth considering those toe warmers. I bought a pair of heated gloves mm -hmm. and overboots last year. Really? I tried them out. Um, they work okay. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say are they the better best. or worse than Kinko gloves? Oh, Kinko's the best. Right. <laughs> we'll never go away from Kinko. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. $35 Kinko. Exactly right. <laughs> you so, heard it here first. What is your gear pick of the week? So my gear pick of the week is the best lightweight jacket, I think, in the entire world. So we have these jackets. They're made by Patagonia. They're called the Houdini. And these jackets are windbreakers. And 
they ball up into this little chest pocket and they're basically the size of a fist. So they weigh almost nothing. You can stash them in a bag wherever you want. But these also can keep you warm on top of a mountain with really, really strong winds. We'll use them in the winter. We'll use them in the summer. They can be used uh, during biking. So in general, even if you're just traveling and you want to have like a very warm insulating layer that takes up no space, we recommend this jacket. I would say that they trap heat really, really well. So they're not something that, you know, you're going to sweat a good amount. If, for example, you wore them on just like a windy, warmish fall day, I wouldn't recommend it for that. But anytime you're going in the mountains, we think about that as like our insurance or security because it can do so well with pro- stopping the wind. Yeah, it's the best best all around jacket we own. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Right. I think we did it. I th- think we did it. We could talk about coaching, as we said, for hours and hours on end. But I think the upshot here is if you don't have a coach and you're listening and you want to do an event, give us a telegram or an email or anything like that. And we'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like. And the broader point is, you know, this is not just an advertisement. We really do do this because we love it so much. And we hope that we've inspired you, too, to think about, you know, do you want to consider getting into coaching, even just helping out one or two family members with getting fit or incorporating fitness into their lives? can be really life-changing. So we recommend that you spread the good news of coaching. And also just shout out to all the coaches. You know, we talk about coaching a lot here for endurance sports, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> like all the coaches who coach at their kids' elementary mm-hmm. school, right? Volleyball, basketball, whatever. Like we recognize there's so many coaches out there mm-hmm. and just appreciate that people giving up their time yes. into the community. So um, thanks to all the coaches out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to the coaches. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We will see you next week with a special episode on a special topic, and it may be our first episode with a guest. So stay tuned for that episode. Thanks for listening. Please, as always, give us ratings, give us reviews, and send in your feedback. And we can't wait to talk soon. See you, peeps. Mm-hmm.